Amrita? Bhakti. Amrita, are women in sports still marginalized? No way. Not in Bollywood, they aren't. <laughs> okay, I see where you're going with this. Um, there's been a lot of patriotic films about uh, women athletes in the past years, not just in India and Bollywood, but also, as you know, in um, Hollywood as well. So, you know, I think the question we're trying to discuss today is, do women in sports matter or are they just symbols to be hyped up and then turn into some sort of an inspiring movie? Are women still being marginalized? And we're going to be joined later by Sohini Chattopadhyay, who just wrote a book, uh, which is a kind of uh, history of uh, women runners, right? Right. I'm really looking forward to that. The Day I Became a Runner is her book. Yep. Um, but let's talk about this question that we have posed, right? Do women in sports really matter or they're, are they marginalized? I mean, you know, here we are talking about the sports industry overall. Mm -hmm. We are talking about big business, the revenues, the advertising, the federations, and everything is intertwined in a way that automatically has these structures of whether women are seen, they have access. Um, and then, you know, the larger question, whether girls and women are discouraged from pursuing athletics and sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying like, there's a two, uh, there are two threads to this. There's the profession uh, in which, uh, you know, women get marginalized. It's a masculine profession. I mean, if anything, we are, uh, you know, I think just last year we saw the big uh, World Cup. Well, last year, like this summer, essentially, yes. we saw the Women's World Cup and for the it was a big deal because it had all this uh, World Cup in soccer, football. Yes. And uh, it was a huge deal because it was almost streamed to us as if, as if it was, um, you know, the sports um, representation that we're used to, you know, big ads, you know, all these kind of, um, you know, lineup of commentators, you know, the, the star athletes, you know, learning about right. their profiles being written about, just really giving them this desired space. And it was such a unique event. And we're talking about 2023. This is how long it has uh, taken us uh, to get there. And then the other thread I think you're bringing in, and I think Sohini's book does this a little bit as well, is um, just kind of the practice of daily sports, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's running or playing cricket on the streets or um, volleyball at school or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. That also seems to be, at least within South Asia, and yes. I would say in the West as well, yeah. quite uh, quite problematic. I think there's still a sense that uh, pursuing athletic dreams it not, is not necessarily encouraged, right? No, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, I'm thinking it's not just a South Asia thing or a problem, and it's much more wider in the West too. Um, as you know, incidentally, part of my family is in Sweden and they pride themselves on gender equality and, you know, women in sports are ranked very high in mm -hmm. the world. Uh, and yet I was speaking just because you mentioned the, the World Cup soccer and, you know, women's team is really mm -hmm. highly ranked, better yeah. than men. And I was speaking with somebody and they said in Sweden that, you know, it's all about the revenues. It's all about where the money is and people want to watch men's soccer because that's what's 
uh, getting all the big um, ads. Yes. And then, you know, oh. inadvertently, <laughs> men's soccer team in Sweden is much less ranked than the women's team. So it's, you know, it doesn't make sense. Why yeah. there would be spectators? I mean, we're also here talking about spectatorship, right? What people want to watch. And automatically mm -hmm. it is assumed that it is the men's cricket, the men's soccer, football. Uh, yeah. what, so, you know, it, it's a very interesting kind of juxtaposition that we're looking at also. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, talking about this, you can't get away from those basic conversations about sexism and objectification of women's bodies and the focus on uh, women's body. I mean, when I was growing up in India, I mean, do you even remember like those cricket players all being fit and stuff? I mean, they were not even, you know, but mm -hmm. like when and now I think, of course, there's more fitness oriented or the look because they also have to sell products and stuff like that. It's changing. Yeah. But the truth is women never escape this particular trap. Right. No, no. I mean, I was so scandalized because um, I think I don't know where or where this like volleyball was playing and just like the stuff they wear and then there's mm -hmm. this whole kind of culture of watching women's wrestling because they wear these really tiny um, underwear you know it's just mm -hmm. like there is such a puerile disgusting objectifying component to it I'm not saying we don't objectify men but it's not in the it's definitely not in the same way no, and then the other focus on the women's body is also like the the tests you know Semenya Castor you know if you think about uh, Duti Chan had to undergo similar kinds of uh, scandals as well, you know, or whatever this testing and then the scandals that come out of it to yeah. prove are you woman or are you man? I mean, it's just, it's awful to focus on the physical uh, in a way that even more than it would be in a very physical industry, you know. Right. And I'm also thinking, you know, um, looking back at the 90s when we had within the tennis world and tennis world already we know appearance has a key thing about how women tennis players look with Monica Seles, Steffi Graf and later on with Maria Sharapova and I remember you, do you remember that uh, the stabbing incident that happened with Seles coming back after years and she had gained some weight and she was playing fantastically still then but the conversation was not about what she was doing but rather how she was looking and how when she was going to lose that extra weight or so yeah. and it was so problematic and then we, again we have the 2000s with that whole you know how women in tennis look and then you mentioned the hyperandrogenism. I think we should unpack it that you know now women have to prove that they're women enough to be yeah. in the sports no and, and there is no you know it seems like the, the binary of what the sports has determined to be male and female and scientifically it's not even that much of a binary it's so blurred I know. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And I would, of course, throw that in uh, because we're talking about tennis. It's like the stuff that Serena Williams endures, you know, oh um, the anti-blackness, the kind of uh, disgusting racism around uh, how she looks and she's been incredible and empowered, but she's not this kind of uh, dainty, hot thing or whatever that you're supposed to be while also playing the power game that yes. she has delivered year after year after year, you know. So and also yeah. remember, you know, 
I, you know, she has done this really powerful campaign with Nike called Dream Crazier. I don't know if you have seen it. And she mm -hmm. actually takes up on all of these issues about how there are certain kinds of stereotypes associated with how to look, cliches of appearance and how to behave on the court, temperaments and, you know, how unfair treatments are usually for the women and we have a history of glorifying mckendro and how cool it was to be angry on the court right i know i forgot about that yeah absolutely and then wasn't she rep wasn't serena williams reprimanded for yes fine okay. yeah yes, on the court for yes yes oh god it's awful but you know i think sohini is going to focus more on india i think her book focuses on indian um uh, women uh, and we've had this kind of crazy year last year. And I know you were really upset about uh, what was happening with Piti Usha. Yes. Um, you know, so, I mean, don't you think this kind of a big year should should change our perception or is it just making things worse? I mean, we'll ask Sohini, but what do you think? Well, Bhakti, you started with a really important um, statement about all of these films coming out, right, that glorify there's something and one one would feel that something has shifted. We have these representations in film about women, women and in sports women in India. And yet you mentioned 2023. It's such a sad year to think about. Uh, first of all, we have Pidusha, um coming and literally pleading, breaking down in public and saying there is a problem with safety. Um, the Pitiusha Academy that she um, heads, um, she has been demanding safety and she's been talking about encroachment and hooliganism, uh, problematic mm -hmm. behaviors. And, you know, she's been asking to build a wall um, and it goes unheard of. And then, you know, um, with the entire controversy happening in wrestling um, with mm -hmm. Vinesh Fogat and Sakshi Malik, Malik um, really important uh, women wrestlers who have been protesting against um, the Federation chief on their counter-sexual uh, harassment and allegations yeah. and demanding their arrest. And they have yeah. even tried to throw their medals in the river as a mark of protest. Uh, yeah, but they have been detained. You know, yeah. Sakshi Malik was earlier detained by authorities uh, for the protest. Mm -hmm. and, and I believe late into 2023, she quit. Um, with the new appointment of the Federation, um, who's backed by the previous, with the predecessor. So all of this really makes me wonder if there is a shift um, and where are we going from where, you know, this right. mistreatment, lack of safety, uh, the problem of representation still mm -hmm. really painting the world of women's sports. No, absolutely. And I know that we are making it seem as if these films are just so amazing or something. But I mean, it is such a meager <laughs> selection at the end of the day, you know, and within that also uh, so many problems. I mean, of course, for a long time, the film that was like the big film about women in sports was like starring Shah Rukh Khan and it was Chuck Day. Nice. And it's a super entertaining film, super moving. I'm right in there. I'm crying and want them to win and whatever. All of that, I'm right there for all of them. But hello, I mean, is it, who is it about? You know, yes, it's absolutely. about this guy. It's and, the heroism about, you know, this male protagonist, right? Yeah. 
exactly, exactly. And a lot of the times, you know, and uh, uh, a year ago, I taught um, uh, I taught a course on um, gender and cinema, and we did a whole module on um, sports films. And one of the things mm-hmm. um, we learned again and again as a as a class uh, together was you know, men's films about sports can track a certain journey, but women's uh, films about sports have to track that journey and also show overcoming very basic obstacles. And those basic obstacles are family, family spaces. There's either the dad or the mom who are just like, absolutely not. She must not be like this. You know, you remember like Bend It Like Beckham, which was such a so fun, iconic, absolutely brilliant um, film where, uh, you know, she's trying to overcome this conservative family who wants her to get married. And then the other girl at the time played by Kira Knightley, uh, her mom is worried she's gay, you know, sports will make you gay. Yeah. So it's just, so these, these films too, it's a small selection. Um, and already even within that, uh, it's, so, it's so trouble. Am I happy they exist? Absolutely. But, um, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, we're really working with crumbs here. I just wanted to kind of engage that. I I 100% agree with you. And what you're saying also, you know, I'm thinking about the pressure of success, right? I mean, all of these women who we hear about, it has to be this extreme blazing success or nothing, right? We don't have regular uh, sort of women practicing sports, it has to be really uh, women bringing laurels to the country in a way that makes us remember that there is women's sports out there. Yeah, and that's yeah. so problematic in so many different ways. I know. Um, and I mean, I think at the end of the day, I, I have to kind of confess that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it for myself just because I've never had that aspiration or, you know, um, or whatever. But I think I hope Sohini um, is able to kind of touch upon the challenges, like basic challenges for like girls, you know, mm-hmm. to go out there and um, and do something. Or I think her book looks a lot at spaces and things like that. Right, right. And I'm yeah. hoping to get some kind of a hopeful uh, shift in terms of where we are going may not be so miserable and so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot of we have a lot of expectations from her. So I see her now coming in. So let's uh, let's welcome her and bombard her with a thousand questions. Absolutely. Oh, Sohini is here. Welcome. Sohini Chattopadhyay is joining us today. And I think you're going to have to resolve some of the debates and discussions Amrita and I have been passionately having uh, seconds before you came. So the topic we are, um, you know, thinking about is are women in sports still being marginalized uh, because the truth of the matter is, um, you know, there's been so many films about women in sports in recent years. And as you know, the last year, you know, sports women with their debacle with wrestling and so many different things like they have been foregrounded. You know, the fact women athletes, women in sports have been foregrounded. Um, and, you know, I was I was also I know you've written a fantastic book and we'll get to it in a minute, but you've also been a film critic. That's how I've come to know your work. 
And I just, you know, we wanted to start, you know, Amrita and I are huge fans of uh, films and we end up talking about films more than we should in our podcast. <laughs> and there, there have been so many films about sports uh, recently, you know, like Shabash Mittu, there's of course Dangal, uh, Dil Bole Hadipa, well, Mary Com, you know, there's been, a, there's been a lot. And then before that was, of course, Chak De and Dangal, there was that whole round too. Um, what do you think this trend is saying about women uh, women in sports today? Uh, yeah, so the uh, I think the women in sports moment was very big until about in in, in Hindi cinema until I think about three years ago. So uh, and, and now not so much, but there certainly was like beginning with some of the films you named Chakte, etc. The way I read it is that these are statements of citizenship. Sport is anyway always uh, associated with nationalism. And um, I've actually written an essay about this as well, is that um, in the last 15 years or maybe 20 years, uh, there is this recasting of the Indian woman as the ideal citizen through the figure of the sportswoman. And before that, so so my argument was, I wrote this for a magazine, for a journal called Seminar, that um, from you know early Hindi cinema till about the 90s, um, every major leading woman would play uh, a courtesan or a tawaif or a prostitute or some sort of performer. And now every major leading woman and leading man actually will play a sports person. Everyone. I can't think of a single major actor who hasn't done it. So I feel like this is like a recasting of the ideal uh, Indian woman and of course the ideal Indian man. But uh, the, the figure of the courtesan slash performer slash the uh, slash actor, whatever, the performing woman was seen as uh, pre-modern pre India. She was often uh, a good person. But she was invariably a tragic person, even if sometimes, you know, the things that you saw in these films were actually very wonderful, luxurious things. So, for instance, Pakiza, you see Meena Kumari's hair being perfumed with uh, these wonderful old fashioned lamps. And you, you look at that and you think, I want that life. But but uh, but but she's a tragic figure. She's not sure. she's not a happy. She's not going to get a happy ending. Because I think that is the, that was the idea that the national movement uh, portrayed uh, the the idea of the Bhadra Mahila and mm -hmm. and the cultured, educated woman who would be a good uh, you know mother and a good wife uh, and a good citizen in that uh, sense. But uh, now we see her being recast as the as the sportswoman. Or the other, the other trope is also a physical trope, actually. You also see a lot of women as uh, spies or national oh, agents. Yes. Or, it's True, not, yeah. it's, uh, so, so Topsy Pandu actually does both. It's, it's, a, it's a casting of, you know, this is what the modern Indian uh, good citizen is. She uh, is. Sonia, quickly jump in there. You know, I'm fascinated that you're saying that this trend has been happening the last, you know, three years ago. And now there's this recasting. 
but I'm thinking of, we were, Bhakti and I were chatting about 2023 specifically. And it's so much has happened in terms of sport and Indian women. Um, and I'm thinking about the controversy where P.T. Usha broke down uh, in public, saying the state, you know, there is encroachment and hooliganism in the academy that she heads. And of course, then we have the entire year filled with the wrestling controversy. Um, and it's heartbreaking. It has only gotten worse, we see. So how does this recasting really match up? Where do we go from here? It's really depressing. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is really heartbreaking because... Uh, I don't know if you followed the entire protests. Uh, uh, they, they began in January last year. Yes. Yes. And, and in the beginning, actually, these uh, wrestlers were saying that, uh, uh, so they weren't saying that this happened to us. Uh, they were saying that this has happened to someone I know, to yes. my friend. And so, so that is also one reason why the FIRs were not being launched, because nobody was saying that uh, this happened to me. So, you know, very early on in my book, I realized that this is a subject that I would not be able to touch because if I went into this subject, it was clear that it was everywhere. Mm. It's not just wrestling. And in a way, we also know this, right? It's not just sport. It's everywhere. Like, like we saw with the Me Too movement some years ago. It is everywhere. It's certainly there. And But what I feel is that sport in India is 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 a cage just like academia is. So I, I, I thought of it like like Losha, you know, the list of sexual harassers in uh, academia, which had when, when Raya Sarkar had brought that up, because it, nobody was saying, or it was anonymous, and it had to be anonymous, because, because uh, they have the power to uh, shut, you're, you're imprisoned by the system. That is how the sports bureaucracy is in India. No matter how good you are, you may have just won a world championship, but you're not going to get, a, unless you get a signature on your form, you're not going to go to the next tournament, which is why nobody was saying that this happened to me. I think it's 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 very, very sad. You know, I, I wish it, it, I could be more optimistic about it, but I cannot think of anybody who is thinking that I let my daughter go into sport my entire book is about uh, in a way suggesting that maybe sport may be a more viable ladder of social mobility than education higher education has been but i now think in that sense i may have failed because i can't think of anybody who would say you know i want i want my daughter to you know get into sport because that that is a route to a grade 4 government job which it is, I think it's really terrible. And it's it's just ended in such a horrible way. The other thing I wanted to say was that, I don't know if you remember, but um, I think Vinesh and Sakshi, uh, Sakshi Malik, the Olympian said that, imagine if this is happening to Olympians, then what is it like to be, uh, you know, uh, an average, an arm uh, citizen? Absolutely. Uh, so, 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 I mean, it's so true, right? It's It's so... It's it, yeah. there's there's really not even in, no hope. I feel if mm. if this and what were they asking for? They were not asking for um, this particular MP to be removed from Parliament, or they were only saying, please don't have this person as the Wrestling Federation chief. It was mm -hmm. such a small ask. It is such a small ask. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you are almost suggesting that this year, this horrible year, where you're kind of uh, you're kind of blending, not blending, weaving in the Me Too and how Me Too unfolded, and this kind of world of sports into one. You're saying it's almost was to the to the detriment, and I know that the outcome right now looks really bad you know but sometimes one always thinks that somebody takes the fall for it but then it paves the path for better discourses better approaches better something right because this is what you can even kind of intersect it with international uh women athletes you know when serena williams or naomi osaka or like Simone Biles are talking about mental health or problems with coaches and all these kind of same issues, you know, um, they are chastised, gossiped about, hated, um, all that happens. But but there is a sense that it opens up something for the next uh, level. But you feel very you feel pessimistic that the key problems still haven't come to the fore. I do, you know, and you know, I, I was uh, a running group had invited me some weeks ago to talk about my book, and this mm -hmm. came up there because the wrestlers' protest has been foremost on people's minds, everybody's minds, especially when it comes to a sports book. And uh, somebody from the audience, a young man from the audience, was saying exactly what you were saying, Bhakti, that mm -hmm. uh, that on the whole, this is a good thing because at least people are talking about it. And I was saying that, you know, but there have been so many instances when a correction could have been made. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, it's such a small ask. The original ask is still so small. And mm -hmm. it's still taken so much that I, I really wonder what it must feel like to be, uh, you know, the to be Sakshi Malik or to be her, uh, to be her sister or to be her mother. There's a very interesting film called Dear Comrade, which I wrote about uh, some time ago. And it was almost, you know, it came right after the summer of um, Me Too in India. So Me Too in India happened in 2018. And this came in the summer of 2019. And uh, in fact, Me Too happened at the end of 2018, right? So it it, it felt like a, like a prophetic film. And uh, it, it looked like a, I mean, the, the, the trailer for the film was, it, it looked like a youthful shot, a youthful uh, romance. And in fact, it starred Vijay Devarakonda, who's like the poster boy of uh, uh, the toxic man and, and uh, Rash, Rashmika Mandana. But it was a story about sexual harassment in sport. Mm. And it was about how the, the man uh, helped her but I mean, she helped herself, but he found his thing, his sense of maturity by uh, by helping uh, her do the right thing. Uh, and it was somehow, it was very, very similar actually, because for years, uh, this young woman cricketer who had uh, undergone sexual harassment didn't speak about it. She gave up the game. Um, mm -hmm. She was depressed. Uh, she tried to kill herself. So this the 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 reckoning happened years after her uh, playing days. 
I think that's a very high cost to pay. No, I'm just thinking that if you're terrible someone- cost. It's a terrible cost to pay, especially when we bring it back to the context of India, where yeah. you're not raking it in the way Serena Williams is or uh, Osaka is. You know what I mean? So already there's so much marginalization. There's bad revenues or ad campaigns, all that kind of stuff that you associate with the profit of sports is already missing. And then on top of it, you add this madness, you know, and because we were researching this um, episode, uh, Amrita and I ended up in the in the trap of Googling Sanya Mirza and yeah. literally no one would even know she plays anything. All you know is stuff about her divorce and rumors about the divorce and her marriage and motherhood how she's as a mother exactly it's like there is nothing that even you know we don't even know if she's a sportswoman but listen we don't want to belabor the thing that congratulations on your absolutely fantastic book thank you so much for giving us advanced copies to read uh, the day I become a runner, we ask all our listeners to run out and buy it. And I think <laughs> I want you to uh, tell everybody what this book is about. But before you say that, I just want to add that it does this kind of really important work of uh, fusing two things. One is the personal story of uh, trying to trying to run on the streets of this our crazy country and uh, <laughs> in in ur- urban spaces even and then you go out and you try running in various other countries and places and and just speak about space and uh, you know for women who want to try this want to be athletic want to engage in sports and then it's also a history history of uh, women athletes especially runners so it does this kind of personal and historical work and uh, it's fantastic and congratulations but now you tell us what this book is about what inspired it so it yeah. is a book on uh, gender it is a book on sport but um primarily i see it as a book on citizenship mm-hmm. and, and this this line running through the middle says a women's history of india through the lens of sport uh why a women's history of india and why through the lens of sport because i think sports uh, gives you the legitimacy to cross the threshold from the private sphere, from the domestic sphere into the public sphere. Uh, so women's citizenship in the private sphere at home is unquestioned. We are revered as mothers and uh, wives. But the moment we step out into the world, our status as equal citizens is a lot less certain. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, we know this instinctively. I call this the Lakshman Rekhoff citizenship. Mm. And sports gives you the legitimacy to cross this Lakshman Rekha. Why? Because you're seen as performing for the nation. You're seen as performing nationalism. So this is a three-tiered idea. The first is that sports and nationalism are inextricably related. Mm. So we see that the high noon of nationalism is the turn of the 20th century which is also the time that organized sport begins to take off in a big way. So some dates, 1896, the first edition of the modern Olympics, 1904, FIFA, which is the World Football Association, is set up. Uh, Around 1911 or 12, the the International Tennis Association puts its rules together. Uh, Sometime a a little bit before that, sometime in the 1870s, the first international test match is played 
between uh, Australia and England. So as uh, momentum is gathering for World War One, we see nations even before that lining up on the sports field. So and the other twin of uh, uh, sport and nationalism is actually cinema. So 1895, again, uh, again, quizzers may know this, is the premiere of the Lumiere brothers, arrival of a train in Paris. And uh, there is a little bit of cinema in the book, but both sport and cinema are huge platforms for nationalism. They're all turn of the 20th century uh, twins. So that's the first tier of the argument. The second is that men can go to war. Women largely don't, even if some combat roles are opened up for uh, women. So how do women perform nationalism? Historically, we see that the suffragist movement, very prominent in the US and the UK in particular, uh, they make major gains in 1918 and 1919. Why? Because that's the end of World War One, And these women were seen as having done their duty while the men were, uh, you know, uh, at the war front, in the trenches, so so citizenship. So, and the third tier is that sports allows women to perform nationalism uh, at at times of uh, you know at times when you're not in war. So that is that is what the book is about. I'm telling the story of uh, well, the republic, you could say, but India from the 1930s to the current moment through the lives of uh, nine women athletes. And myself, who's not, I mean, I'm very much a hobby runner. Uh, I'm looking only at running because I think of it as a minimal sport. You don't need anything. You don't need to train. You don't need equipment until about five years ago. You didn't even need to wear shoes. Now the Athletics Federation of India has changed that. You just uh, have to donate your kneecaps to the cause. You know, <laughs> you don't have that left. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, yes, yeah, so that's what so I'm, I'm, I'm. I begin in the 1940s with Mary D'Souza, who was part of the first Indian Olympic contingent to send women to the Olympics at the 1952 Games. Then there's Kamaljit Sandhu, who's the first Indian woman to win an individual gold outside India, 1970. Uh, very, very uh, significant win for India because the news in India is very glum at the time. So the Naxal, so if you look at the front pages, Naxals are murdering bank managers, giving vice chancellors of university a very hard time. There is an Air India strike. Cotton growers are very upset with the government because uh, there is uh, a limit. You know, this is the time of the license Raj. So there's a limit on how much cotton uh, they can access. Uh, so it's 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 a very glum time, and then you know Kamaljeet wins, and she actually defeats uh, an Olympic medalist, uh, a Taiwanese uh, athlete called Chi Cheng. Then I come to the 1980s with P.T. Usha, iconic uh, sportswoman. Sure. The second, uh, so the book is broadly in three sections. The first uh, third is about you could say pioneers I travel from the 1940s to the 1980s the next section is about three athletes who are called out for not being uh, women enough broadly so uh, sport is uh, I think the the domain in contemporary life which releases the distinction between male and female the most because you only play in two categories there is no third category so uh, sports has a very long and unsettling history of uh, 
sex test, gender yes. test. I think the term gender test is yes. wrong. Sex test is a is, is a more more accurate way to say it. So Shanti Sondarajan, the first uh, athlete to be called out in the world uh, after the era of uh, compulsory sex testing is over. So 1999, compulsory sex testing is over. After 1999, you are only called out if someone complains. You're only tested if someone complains against you. So it's the first athlete ever she wins in uh, doha asian games medal and then she's stripped of the medal she wins uh, a silver in 800 meters one of the best middle distance runners we have wow. then we have uh, pinky pramanik who's not called out on the field but who's accused by her uh, housemate of rape but it casts questions about her athletic career and then we have Chand. And uh, so we travel actually a very short period. We travel from 2006 to 2015, less than a decade in this section. But it was important for me to tell all the three stories because Shanti is dumped by the government of India like a defective toy. Pinky wins her case in the Calcutta High Court. And for Duti Chand, the government of India goes to the Court of Arbitration and Sport, which is the Supreme Court of Sport. And Duti wins. Right. So very yeah. Uh, we've been exactly talking about the uh, whole sex test and the you know hyper androgenism that is going on and the terrible fates that these elite athletes are going through. The women athletes are going through, and I personally loved how you took these stories of eight women, and you know you're showcasing a certain trajectory within um, Indian uh, women's sports. But I'm also thinking about the beginning of the book, which really hit me. And you're, you're talking about spaces. You mentioned citizenship and the performance of citizenship um, and how sports enables uh, that. But this, I was struck by the stories you talk about uh, the fear of acid attacks on women when they're running. And you have this moment when you're thinking about that yourself. And then the clothing women choose to wear while they're running. You talk about the sweat and what that can do visibly. Um, and it's very beautifully written. Again, you know, shout out uh, for really terrific writing. Thank but, you. But would you say that beyond the running and the sports, and of course, this is about claiming citizenship, but this is also about claiming women's bodies uh, visibly in public spaces resisting patriarchy in so many different kinds of ways of course yeah so one of the one of the triggers for the book was that one of one of course was the 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 the, the murder and gang rape of the 23 year old paramedical student who went to watch uh, life of pi at a delhi uh, multiplex i don't like the media given name for her at all so i like to call her by her name jyoti uh, so one was that, of course, but one was, uh, you know, uh, far less serious. I was walking back home after covering uh, uh, um, an election, a padyatra by Mamta Banerjee. And she, her padyatras are actually like, she really walks fast. They're like sprint yatras. I was walking back home. Uh, absolutely killer April afternoon in Kolkata. I stepped out of the metro and I have uh, uh, an umbrella and somebody taps me on the back. And when I look back, this man tells me, 
close your umbrella, you're taking up the space of three people. And I remember telling him, because this is central Calcutta, Moedan. So I, I remember pointing out the, you know, the parked cars on both sides of the road, the hawkers, and telling him, why don't you tell them to move? And I remember him, he, I think he said, oh, they are not disturbing anybody, or they're doing their work, or they're something like that. Meaning I was taking up more space and um, uh, not enabling work. But these people, a parked car had more right to public space than I did. And, uh, you know, at the time, I think I had just done two or three chapters. I wasn't sure whether the book was going anywhere. But I remember I'm very grateful to this man who articulated it so clearly that you're taking up space and you're not useful. So I thought that this is something I have to, because for me, citizenship is also about claiming space. That's why I make the point about the Lakshman Rekha, mm. about the threshold between the domestic sphere and the public. If you look at some of the debates around women's citizenship, you know, there's this book uh, which nearly everybody's read, Geraldine Forbes, Women of Colonial India. Uh, then there's a very book, good book on citizenship called um, Citizenship and Its Discontents by Nija Bhopal Jayal. Uh, so these, these questions of... So Sarojini Naidu, for instance, um, said that women should be, Indian women should get the vote because they would be good mothers and good wives, not because uh, they would interfere uh, with men in the... They, 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 the, the whole it was framed as good mothers and good and and good enablers of the next generation of citizens mm. but they don't interfere with so there was this very clear demarcation between the sphere of duty and the sphere of rights very much like it's that's why i think the lakshman rekha is a perfect way to describe very similar to what lakshman had done that you are good as long as you stay within this circumference and then when you step out anything can happen right. yeah. so these are the debates that happened so Hini, well, but you know i'm also thinking you, you say you know in the book that you know it is of course difficult to run in india in public spaces but you do kind of give a tribute to calcutta more than other spaces right <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't today. Today I wouldn't. I, th I think Bangalore maybe. That was very interesting to me. But, you know, I was also very surprised and sad because one film that uh, meant something to me more than many other sports films is Shabash Mittu. And you uh, talk about that at the end of your book where um, I was surprised that the, the role, the figure of Nuri is actually based on um, Nusheen Al-Khadir, um, you know, very prominent Muslim woman, Indian woman cricketer, to one of the very few to have had a hundred one day international crickets. And yet her role is completely butchered and erased. And, you know, whereas her father in real life had actually um, given the space to her and, you know, urged her to join cricket um in the film of course it is another representational uh, huge problem where again it's the regressive muslim family where the girl has to lie to pursue her dreams um so you know tell us more about how you feel there is this kind of erasure within the erasure that we're talking about in cinema you mean in in, in popular culture in i would ask in both i would ask oh, yes. in, in 
Yeah. In the way they intertwined. I think popular culture, at least Hindi cinema, has this uh, trope of uh, needing uh, needing to save Muslim women. Yeah. That that uh, that I have written about also. That repeatedly you will see that Muslim women are need to be, you know, either they are misguided, they are uh, going to blow themselves up because they have been witness to pogroms. Uh, so, so the solution is that they are so. So either they are brainwashed, or they need to be. They are damsels in uh, distress. They need to be saved. So I'm just gonna say that I think what Amrita and I agree is that it allowed us that erasure that you point out in the film, which I did not know about, nor did Amrita. Mm. It it makes me. It what it did was it 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 kind of makes us realize the gaps and. Forget about films. It just makes you think, oh, God, it's already so bad for women out there in the profession of sports. It must be so much harder if that person is Muslim. Right. So I think that's what it points to. But I want to I want to um, ask you a final get your last word uh, today. Can I, can I add one more thing to that? Yeah. My, my, so Shabash Mitu is a distortion and uh, sure. the. It, it, it is a distortion and Nusheen is actually associated with the film in that she trained Tapsi Pallu, the star, to bat. Yes. So she is in real life Mithali Raja's best friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the, the, the real reason for the erasure is probably something as banal as there has to, they don't have the permission to make Nusheen's film, but there will be another film or there will be a series. And that will explore the Muslim. So, but they fall into the trope of uh, the the Muslim woman who needs to be saved, which is what I was pointing to. But the other thing I try to say in the in the book, because there is an absence of Muslim women in sport yeah. that I grappled with. Sure. Um, and 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 my thought was that you see so many Muslim women in uh, cinema. At least in early cinema, they are pioneers in a way that, you know, when you look at early Bombay or early Calcutta cinema, you actually see Jews and Parsis and Anglo-Indians and Muslims. You don't see the Hindu woman at all until the, I mean, with the exception of a Devika Rani, absolute exceptions. Mm. So my sense is that there was a shaming of the woman in public, especially the Muslim woman, especially the Tawaiyaf slash performer, because many of those who performed in early Indian cinema were from performing cultures, because early technology was such that you needed to be either a good singer, preferably somebody comfortable, because you don't have too much film stock, etc. So I think there was a shaming. And then I also think that it's difficult to survive, let alone play competitive sport when you're living in ghettos with such bad facilities, which is what the Sachar Committee report says. So, okay. Uh, before we run out of time, uh, I just wanted to like ask you to have a final word on if I ask you to pick just two things that need to shift for the profession, for women in the profession of sports. This is not about films, not about representation, not about anything. 
just specifically, I think we are asked the question, are women in sports still being marginalized? And I think we don't have a debate question here. It's simply absolutely yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so then I want you to give me uh, a sort of two, two, two quick solutions. So, Bhakti, I'm going to give a boring answer. Actually, I think, you know, look at Bajrang Punya also with the wrestlers, you know, sports in India needs to be professionally managed. It cannot be done in this way that even men are, I know that it sounds a bit wishy-washy like all lives matter. I know that I'm saying that, but unless you are a cricketer or, you know, some, something very high profile today, maybe badminton. Badminton actually, I think is quite professionally managed, but unless you're a prominent sports person, even if you're very good, you're subject to, to these kind of feudal uh, management, if, you, if one can call it management. So you still need that signature on your form. You may be a champion, but you still need that signature on your form to get to go to the next tournament. So, so I, think, uh, I think sports needs to be put in professional hands. And like everything else in India, actually nobody enforces posh rules or any of that, least of all the media. Media organizations will 100% not have posh uh, rules in place. Yeah. Thank you, Sohini. Amrita, you had some final comment or? No, I was just thinking, you know, I for me, uh, the book spoke so much about what has happened and what you know as you said that the shift needs to be to take sports seriously in a different way but also just you know to for women in sports to have certain kinds of access from school i mean i think it should begin much earlier than you know suddenly going to a certain elite sports and finding all of these loops and flaws that are there so i, I don't know whether within schools also we have that kind of um sort of potential that that is tapped into we don't have uh, public spaces for sport in India. No, one of the things, one of the ironic things that I noticed in my travels for the book is that you actually see more women outside in rural India than you see in our cities. So yeah. if you walk around in Bombay, and I love walking around in Bombay around the Oval Madan and you know those lovely parts of South, you never see girls play. Yeah. Absolutely. To that end, you still see more women. They may be agricultural laborers, but they may be out doing chores, but you still see women in. I'm not saying this is some unequivocal statement on rural India being more empowered. Not at all. I'm just saying there are no spaces, right, for men and women. And the spaces that exist are either colonial, exclusive colonial clubs, you see a lot of that in Bombay, the Gymkhanas. You see a lot of that in Calcutta as well. Sure. And there you see mostly yeah. boys and men. But it, it seems to me, this is what I was part of the Bangalore Literature Festival and they had uh, lots of sports panels. This is what Simon Cooper, who writes uh, on football for the, for the Financial Times and Gideon Hay, the uh, Australian cricket writer, said that how does India have any kind of sports culture? They were saying this about Bangalore, which still has green spaces. 
how do people like don't people feel like going out and just having a day in the park and you can't even run on the streets because everything is broken because metro construction is taking place all over india for 2024 election yeah well i'm renowned for my lack of athleticism so <laughs> i will just say that <laughs> you won't be able to pay me enough to run in the heat or, or but you would want to walk right i mean forget running i mean i'm just saying no the space issue is key yes yeah <laughs> anyway so many important points you've raised thank you so much today thank you for having me thank you for a great conversation soini yeah We'll be back on the wire next week with another question, another exciting guest and more conversation.